Greetings, and welcome to the 80-Level Roundtable podcast. In each episode, host Kirill Tokarev invites video game industry leaders to talk about the world of game development. No topic is off-limits as long as it relates to video game development. New episodes are in the works, so remember to follow us or subscribe and share with someone you know will also enjoy the podcast. So, um, Lori Plager, right? Yes. All right, cool. So, okay, let's uh, start. So, welcome to 80 Level Roundtable, where we discuss the latest uh, news from the game industry, talk about the new workflows, and discuss game dev in general. And today we have with us Lori Plager. I hope I didn't butcher your name. That's so, correct. and uh, we're going to talk a bit about licensing and how does licensing work in games. I think it's an interesting topic for our audience. And there's not a lot of resources actually about it. But uh, before we go uh, in that direction, Lori, can you give us a little intro? Talk uh, about your career, like where do you come from? Absolutely. Um, well, uh, currently I work at Sony Pictures Television and I represent Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, uh, those two brands for licensing. Um, there are obviously many other uh, intellectual properties at Sony, but, um, those are the two that I represent and I represent them for more than just, uh, gaming for all sorts of categories. So in licensing, you can have people who, um, specialize in everything from, you know, kids to cosmetics, housewares, uh, books, you know, every category apparel that you can think of. Um, this is sort of a unique position because I cover all categories with the exception of mobile. We have a different group that does mobile for these two brands. Um, before I was at Sony, um, I had my own business for quite a few years and I represented uh, a lot of different uh, companies for licensing. Uh, one of them was Peak Games, uh, the Turkish company. Um, uh, I, for a little while, I worked with Atari for a little while, um, and a variety of other companies. And before that I was at Activision, uh, with a, a brief stint at Brash Entertainment, uh, very brief, but, um, and then, uh, I was at Activision for six and a half years, um, and did licensing, uh, acquisitions. So what they call licensing in. And before that, I was at Mattel, uh, where I did also did licensing in. Um, and before that, I worked in the entertainment industry for many years. I did TV and motion picture development. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, that it's a long history and you can tell that I'm, you know, old at this point. <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah, I had a question like... Um... How does one get into this kind of field, right? But it yeah. seems like it's a very, it's a long journey, basically, right? So you have to go. There's like no one place where you can go and say, "Hey, I want to help you with licensing your property." Right. I I think you know I I joke that people who work in licensing come they're either you know used car salesmen or they're they come from a, a you know they have a master's in business background. And I'm kind of kidding, but kind of not, because 
Um, licensing has two different sides. It has licensing in and licensing out. Those are the simple ways to, to look at it. And when you're doing licensing in, you're doing acquisition. So that means that you're the buyer. Um, when you're doing licensing out, you are selling. You are selling whatever intellectual property you have. So most people who are in licensing are on the sales side. There's predominantly, there's just many more opportunities to sell products. There aren't as many to um, have a position where you're a buyer. Um, I, you know, I started out, I have a, a degree in, in theater, uh, you know, uh, came to LA hoping to work in the entertainment business. And after I worked in the entertainment business for a while, I realized that I wanted to work with people in entertainment, but not necessarily in directly in that industry. And it was really hard to figure out like, what is that transition? And um, someone told me that there was a position at Mattel where they were looking for somebody that had an entertainment background and they were willing to kind of teach the licensing part so i applied and um thank goodness i got a job there and uh um you know they taught me the licensing part and i knew the entertainment part so that was a good um opportunity a good good way to get into that business that's it's an interesting point where you started so i think metal is like a perfect example of companies who want to work with licensing more and I guess it kind of goes into our next question is um, why are companies doing this? Like what are like the benefits of like selling your licenses or giving your licenses away or purchasing licenses if, if you, because what are like the triggering factors for them? What, what, what is the business overall looks like? Um, I think, you know, a license, the reason to pick up a license would be to, um, I always say that licensing is, is two words. It's borrowed equity. You're borrowing something that has value to you. And that I think is part of the evaluation that you have to make when you are picking up a license. Um, if you are choosing something that needs a lot of education for your audience, so it's a little bit niche and not a lot of people know about it. It has less financial value to you and it should have less financial value um, associated with it when you pick up that property. So if you're looking to potentially acquire a license and you're saying, what, what are some of the criteria that I have to look at in in you know spending money on a license, um, what you want to know is how much value is this going to bring to me? Um, do I have to educate my audience about this? Because if I do, that's going to take effort. It's going to take marketing. It's going to take a lot of other things. You know, I, I will tell you when you have um, brands like Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune. I, I have not had to educate anyone. There's zero, absolutely not a singular person has said, I've never heard of it before. So that makes my job a lot easier, um, which is which is great. Um, it's not, uh, you know, those aren't licenses for everybody, but 
um, at least the education part is not is not in there. So I would say, you know, some of the criteria that you're looking for is um, how well known is this property? Um, is this is this something that I can take and actually make it gameable? You know, not everything is gameable. So there are many, um, you know, intellectual properties out there that are huge, but you can't make a game out of them. So, um, you know, all of these things are are factors in in making that evaluation. Um, you know, one thing that I will will say is a lot of times, and this happened even at Activision and, and at Mattel, so you have some of the biggest companies in the world with the, you know highly educated people who would ask the same question. And, I, and I'm, so I'm gonna say this to, to you or to your, your audiences, the question that you don't ask in a license is how much does it cost? That's not really the, the question that you want to ask if you are evaluating a license. You need to know how much you have to spend. That's the critical part because you have to be comfortable walking away when you know how much you have to spend and then you make that offer or they tell you that that's, that's what you're looking at. Because um, I think a lot of times people get wrapped up in they want it so badly that they end up trying to make it work for them when after they all is said and done, they've made a few cents on the dollar and it's not really worth it to them. So, it's yeah. A, it's a very interesting question. I think it's also very relatable to all people working in the game industry because yeah. um, here it seems like um, it, licensing and licensing properties in game industry is like a double-edged Zord. So in some examples, you can get like build very successful products, like I'd say, like EA and is working with Disney, like on Star Wars titles. Right. Uh, and some, <clears throat> sometimes it can lead to like a total disaster. And um, coming from an industry, uh, I've been here like for a while and the, coming back to like the beginning of 90s or like 90s in general, there were a lot of games which are built on licenses. And if you go even further in the 80s, there are some truly horrible <laughs> games which were built on like properties from film in particular, right? And right. all of those games were like of poor quality, you know, they were not really there. And I think it was that time when uh, those industries kind of learned how to work with each other. Right. You know? Right. Uh, but it seems that this is slowly going away right now. So it, so what's your take on it? Do you still feel that there is like a lot of headbutting and people kind of don't know what to do with the license when they get there? Or is it like more, you know, fluent right now and people kind of understand how to make something gameable, as you put it? Um, I think, uh, you know, there's definitely been a learning curve. I started at Activision in, in uh, 2002, I believe. And um, I think it was still a little bit of the Wild West at that time. Um, it, you know, I remember uh, when I got there watching producers write their own scripts and um, not really having necessarily um, 
writing skills. That's not what they, you know, you can't be a specialist in everything. And the fact that they could actually make a video game was astounding to me. It's definitely not a skill I have. And, um, you know, writers uh, don't necessarily have those skills either, but the producers would write their own games. And sometimes that was disastrous. Sometimes you need to get expertise from people who actually know how to write a script or tell a story because a lot of games are, are story driven. So I think there's been, um, I think there's been a, a shift in how people put these games together and how, and, and what they look for as far as um, criteria that makes something successful. Um, not sure if I just answered your question or I went into another direction. No, 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 no. I, I think I, I think you. I know what you mean, right? So it's definitely a learning on both sides, but I definitely see a shift for the better, at least like in the the last kind of like ten years in general in the industry, because yeah. the games built on someone else's IP becoming better and more right. successful and so on because. And uh, funny enough, a lot of companies who were licensing properties before are now getting their own game studios and kind of work with them. So I, I, it seems like Warner Brothers is a good example where mm -hmm. they have their own. Um, right, their own yeah, they, studios. Yeah, yeah, they have their own studios and they work on like a Lord of the Rings games and so on and so forth. So that's interesting as well. Right. But let's get back a little bit and... <clears throat> look at the situation where let's say we have a company who wants to license something right they think right. they have a perfect idea and sometimes they have even a prototype or a vertical shift but to make more sales or to get like to a wider audience like a global audience they need some kind of a property to you know support it and what would they do in this uh situation so where should they go how do they approach this question because there's not like a door where you can knock and say, Hey, right. this is our licensing office, like let's do business. Right. Right. I think, um, if they've identified a license, so, you know, using, you know, the ones that I have right now as an example, um, you know, the best way is to, you know, a simple way would be to go through LinkedIn and try to connect and say, you know, this is what I have. Um, or email somebody directly if they have that uh, information. People who are in sales always want to make a sale. You know, I'm I my job is to bring in money for a company, and that's what and I and I so I like to hear from legitimate people about um, you know possibilities. Um, I think that one thing to keep in mind is that you know it is obviously it's competitive. So, um, if you have a big property, you are going and you are licensing it out. You're going to look at, um, things like, you know, what does this company have to bring to this situation? You know, are, are am I going to go with a company that's very well known or one that is less known? Why or why not? Um, some people feel like I'm only interested in going with a big company because I know that they're going to have the marketing and the support and 
uh, the money to develop a game, um, a good game. Um, you know, everybody wants a good quality game, so that's important. Um, and I think competency in the area that, you know, if you have somebody who's only developed kids games and you've got, you know, an action title, they're going to have to really show you that they can make a game that has that, that sort of competency. Um, I, I, so, you know, I think when you, uh, when someone is thinking about approaching someone about an IP, um, they have to say, given all of the other factors, why is this person going to go with me? You know, um, you know, and sometimes companies feel like, well, these other big companies, uh, they're, they're focused on their big IPs. I'm going to get lost somewhere in this. And maybe I will be the crown jewel of this smaller company. Um, that is also a consideration that people have. Again, though, it has to do with you don't want to be the crown jewel in a company where they have no money to really make a good game. That that doesn't work either. So, um, yeah, I, it's interesting that you say that there is a basically a bunch of different factors that you can, you know, weigh when you're making this decision. It's not just like. Um, like you said, it's not the price, basically. It's not right. the investment. Right. right, because, you know, ultimately what you're, you know, I think what you're looking for is you want to be able to have a good quality game and you also want to have lots of sales. So the, those are the two factors that every everybody wants. Um, and because you don't want to diminish the quality of your intellectual property, so if something is out there and it's not a great game, everybody knows that you just licensed it out and maybe you made some money, but that that does not help you when you're trying to make sales in other categories because people mm -hmm. have a bad memory of what that what that means. And especially in gaming, if you have a, a an entertainment property gaming is the closest you are going to get to um, people's personal involvement other than, you know, if you have a television show or a movie, people are sitting there, they're entranced, they're watching it, they're involved. Same thing with gaming. So this is really maybe a half step down from what they're trying to express. So you really have to be able to do that effectively. And I think, you know, um, Carol, you also asked me about, you know, what are the things that somebody might uh, need or think about when you're uh, approaching someone? Uh, one thing that I would say is never assume that you know that person's property better than they do. So I've seen people before come in and pitch things where they've kind of taken control over uh the assumption that they know it better than the people in the room and that that can get really dangerous very quickly um you know i think you have to go in and you do you do your best in a presentation and um try to be as true to the product as possible 
Um, but if you have a twist or a different way that you want to present it, say that up front, you know, uh, be, be nice about being honorable and complimentary to what the people have already have already created and say, you know, I love that, but I also want to take it in a different direction and why, and it, it can't just be because I feel like being creative. It's got to have some sort of reasoning behind that. I really like that note, Laurie. I think for me personally, um, it's sort of a miracle that these deals are actually happening because <laughs> I understand that people like on the other side, like the, the property holders, um, it's like their baby. Yeah. You know? It's like, yeah. uh, and, and you're like, it's your daughter and you're giving her a way to, some guy who's that's like, is right he, is he reliable can you trust him what is he going to do so like these are all the questions that are on your mind where you, when you're kind of doing this still right so right you're, you're you're absolutely right that's a it's a good analogy i mean people put in years and years and years on working on these these shows or these ips and they know them inside and out and they're very emotionally attached to them and it's the same thing with when you know your groups create games and somebody comes in and tries to tell them what to do with that game or how to how to you know express it in version number two you you really have to be sensitive to the fact that they they already have a vision, um, so um, I think you know, especially if you're looking at things like game shows, you have to realize that there is already gameplay there, um, and if you're going to make a suggestion in changing that, you have to again have a reason why you're doing that, and sometimes what you have to do is educate the people on the other side about the reason why you're doing it. Um, they don't always know gaming. In fact, most of the people that you I mean, this is, I think a, a good point here is that your people, and I'm saying you're anybody listening to this, um, have expertise in their particular areas and they cannot assume that the people on the other side have any idea of how that works. Um, it's probably always better to come in and just say, you know, this is how this works. I'm, I'm, I'm showing you, this is why I'm thinking this. So the other side can go, oh, okay. I didn't know that, <laughs> you know, um, mm -hmm. again, mm -hmm. you know, you can't be good at everything. So, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think with these deals, it has to make sense, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're, um, I'm just trying to think of some examples and there is a studio in Sweden, I think um, they're doing like big open world games, which mm -hmm. was a bunch of driving right. and um, they've been like relatively successful. They have the tech for it. And uh, one of the properties that they worked on was actually Mad Max. Uh -huh. And that was a very good fit because uh, they already had the tech. They understood like how it worked. Uh, they knew how to build this world and game, and then they just kind of work with the property holder, I guess, to kind of figure the, all the details out and so on. And this kind of drives me to the next question is, um, 
how who holds the control basically when you're doing these kind of collaborative projects when you're licensing out an ip to someone like how do you control your ip how do you make sure that nothing is sort of like broken and so on is there like a legal document for that or are there other methods like is there like weekly syncs with the developers or how does that work uh yes um i will tell you i think there's a a, a very um deep misunderstanding on both sides uh at the beginning of these processes because you try to get everything down in the contract in the very beginning and say these are the steps uh this is what has to happen uh you you know you do presentations at certain junctures um to make sure that people are signed off and you get that sign off in writing uh you know a email yes you were approved for the next step blah 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 so there are all of these markers just like when a developer is working with a studio it's the same thing when you're working with an IP holder um all of those markers have to be very very clear and hopefully the IP holder has an idea of how that works on the uh, development side as well. Um, I have seen and heard many times over um, where a licensor is not necessarily tech savvy and they don't know that even though that they've said yes to something, that that means that that means that 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 person is able to go on and there's certain things that cannot be changed later and if you are dealing with somebody who's not tech savvy you it's really incumbent upon the the studio the 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 developer to say i want you to understand that what you just approved means that this this and this will never be able to be changed because i know that there are costs that go into things later and people sometimes don't realize that there's no going back, no going back after that step so um again i think there's got to be a lot of communication between the two um when there are sign-offs but those things you know i know that you're saying well you know how do you protect each end um a lot of times people i think think well, I'm not going to give them my baby because they're just going to take it and make all of these changes and I won't have any say in it. No, that does not happen. It really doesn't happen because you have a legal document that has to be followed and you set that up and you agree to that at the very beginning. So um, those things are not really going to happen. Nobody's really going to take it and and twist it and make it something um that you haven't approved unless you are not careful in those steps mm -hmm. makes sense makes sense and it kind of goes into all the kind of types of media licensing deals right so it's not only about games because um like a, <clears throat> a lot of guys in, in our audience uh they are creating their own stuff they're building their own properties and these are kind of like baby steps you know it's right. like a, a sketch here like a, something a story there and 
slowly but surely they're like building their own little worlds i would say and for them um sometimes they want to see it like in the form of a book sometimes they want to try to sell it to like say netflix for like an animation film or something like that but um Gloria had a talk with uh, a publisher. I think it's Dark Horse Publishing. Mm-hmm. And um, I talked with them a little bit about that. And uh, I asked them the same question. So would you be open to do a deal like that? And they said basically that, no, <laughs> we really, if we're, if we're investing anything in an IP or any kind of like inter- license, we want to make sure that it's very popular. Right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, my question is, is there a chance for someone who's kind of like in the beginning? Like right. he, they might be popular in their own kind of little world, right? But they don't have like millions and millions of, you know, sales and for, or followers or copies sold or whatever. Uh, how do they operate here? Should they uh, be trying to work on their own? Should they seek kind of partnerships elsewhere and not kind of rely on this uh, IP licensing model at all. I know maybe it's like a little bit out, out of your No, I mean, this is a, it's a, it's, a, I think it's a question that comes up actually fairly frequently. And it, it really goes back to the original part of the original question uh, about, you know, what is, what makes a license? You know, you're you're borrowing equity, meaning you're borrowing something that already has perceived value. When somebody's creating something on their own, it's an original intellectual property. It's not um, it's not really a um, a license in that way. It may be licensable because they want to license it, but um, it doesn't have any perceived value other than to them or their family or their small audience at that point. So um, the, the I don't necessarily think that it's a, a typical licensing proposition. What they're really trying to do is create their own brand. And that- yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, uh-huh. right. And that, that, that takes a, a little bit of a different turn. I think that, um, they do have to work on it quite a bit on their their own and try to put things together, um, find um, studios or publishers or people that they can partner with that who believe that they would like to be investing in an original intellectual property, not mm-hmm. a licensed property. You know, I, I think there are a lot of companies when like when I was at Activision. Um, again, everything's cyclical. Sometimes licensing is very popular and everything's licensed. And sometimes there's not, we're getting away from licensing, no more licensing. Everything's an original IP. Um, I, I personally think it works well when you have some of one and some of the other, because you've got a little bit of a balance there. Um, you know, when I was working at Activision, they had some original IPs and, uh, and some licenses. So, um, you know, I, I think that the people who are just starting out, it doesn't mean that their, their art or their story or their concept 
isn't as good as something that's licensed. It just means that cyclically it's at the beginning. A license is, you know, on that scale of one to a hundred, it's in the 85 to 100% mark time-wise. And there's mm. it at the very beginning of that mark. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. No, that makes sense. I mean, um, it, what you're saying is basically it's just too early for that. Right. At, at those stages. But right, right. You, you can still think about it. You can still think, plan ahead and figure out that if it becomes successful, if it becomes like whatever you can potentially make license and so on. And right. I think it's still a very interesting kind of way to connect things that are usually not that easily connected. Like, uh, I guess in games, uh, like a Mortal Kombat series is a good mm -hmm. example because right. they, it's a character-based game and they basically license characters from all over. They have like Rambo, they have like mm -hmm. Terminator, and then they have mm -hmm. their own roster of characters. And then they can add someone like a Robocop or something. So it's like, um, for a creative person, I think it's a very fun and interesting tool to play around with. Right. It just has to make sense, okay, as you said. like so. Right, right. And that, and that is another kind of licensing, but actually what you're talking about is, um, you know, I, I, I kind of jokingly call it stunt licensing because you're stunting it with, um, or guest star licensing, you're stunting it with little bits of uh, popularity that attracts people's attention. Um, so you can have something that is an original IP where you put licenses in it, or you have a level that's licensed, mm -hmm. you know, a level or a character or something like that. Um, so it's another way to, to continue to build interest in your original IP. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think a lot of, um, a lot of bigger publishers, they have a wider library and for them it's easier to kind of do these cross references mm -hmm. inside because they kind of already own all the rights right but um, yeah i guess in right now we're living almost like in a golden age of that because you can have games like where there is like mario and sonic in one game and it's like right. an olympic games or something right so right. it's like to think about this like before it was crazy because those are like competitors and they would never work together but i think right. it all kind of like changes and blurs with time but right. um, i have another question maybe a bit controversial so you don't have to answer if you don't <laughs> i Just mean who i voted for no <laughs> no no not that we're not interested in that. no that the question is like you've seen a lot of licensing deals and they're like um saw a lot of examples of them like what were maybe some of the craziest most unusual kind of things on those deals or some of the you know weirdest kind of limits or <laughs> questions that they had there so uh, do these things exist because i think in our kind of perception it's they, they do exist like you, you can only use like mickey mouse in in this certain way and not uh -huh, the other uh -huh. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, I think that, um, well, I, I would say that every 
every licensor is protective over their IP because that's all they have. You know, that's what you know, that's what they're 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 giving you their daughter, as you said. Um, and they want to be able to present that IP in the most favorable light and something that doesn't damage it. So um, I will just say as, a, as an example, when you uh, do a deal with the two brands that I'm representing now, Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, they're very protective because those shows have been on for 37 and 38 years. And so the public has a perception of them, which is that they're family friendly, that they are, um, you know, they're just, they're staples of the American community. And um, so, uh, you know, with Jeopardy, I think a lot of times people think, oh, I'll just, I could just write my own, you know, we call them clues and responses. They're uh -huh, uh -huh. questions and answers. I'll just write my own, you know? That's not really how the show works. The show is so exacting. And when you watch it, you realize that when someone gives an answer, uh, it's either correct or it's not. And uh, there's it's just a very black and white thing. So people don't write in and say, oh, they, did the, they gave the wrong answer and the show let it go. That doesn't happen. Um, so, in certain parts of IP, they can be very, very, very specific. That show is super protective over the clues and responses. Absolutely locked down. There's just no wiggle room on, on that. So uh, most of the time, they will write their the clues and responses for the licensee. And that's part of the licensing deal that the licensee pays for. You know, if they want a hundred clues and responses, we have people that write those for them. And that's how that works most of the time. So um, I think that, yes, I worked at Mattel also, and um, there are certain rules with, with uh, you know, Barbie and uh, other dolls and how they're presented. And, um, you know, just some, I don't know if there are any specific funny stories, but just questions that people ask, mm -hmm. um, you know, about things, again, that those are not video game licenses. Um, but I can tell you that at one point when I worked at Activision, and I'm not going to say what, which game this was, but apparently one of the, um, one of the artists or someone who was working on it, it was a, hmm, it was a superhero game and they had worked in just very briefly a scene where two characters uh, kissed. And I mean, it was all of about two seconds, but those two characters would never, that would never ever happen. And the licensor saw this and just flipped out. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> it was not good. And you, you can't you, you can't do things like that just because you think it's either amusing or people won't notice. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I don't know um, how many of those happened, but um, 
I can tell you on the financial end, which may be one of your questions, um, we've I've done deals for, and again, I'm not going to say what they, which ones they are for for two hundred thousand dollars, and I've done deals for sixty nine million dollars, mm-hmm. and um, those those can be that's when you get a lot of crazy stories because people get very anxious when the money keeps going up. Yeah, yeah, but that's the the example you gave. I think it's a perfect one, right? Because um, all comes back like to the idea that you have to know the brand right. that you're working with. You have to know whom you're dealing with, and you have to be careful. I mean, right. you have right. to discuss all those kind of things and uh, listen and so on. Because um, there were so many stories with um, like Lucas Arts um for, like they wanted to build a like a modern sort of like an uncharted kind of game based on star wars and it was like a it, it was horrible because they couldn't come up to disney or at that time i think it wasn't disney even uh to like george lucas basically and ask him whether this guy can do this thing or can mm-hmm. this guy do that thing right and the um, they had like this whole sessions with him and uh, tried to figure out and whenever they got an opportunity to uh, kind of introduce a new character into like the this universe they right. were like super excited and then I thought they were you know it's if they were fixing the bible or something like you know mm, were, like, right you know, right it's a yeah. it's a it's a lot of like responsibility, I think, in general. Yes, and 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 again, I think it goes back to if you want to do something different um, with someone's baby, you're going to have to come up with a good reason why. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got to you really have to kind of take your ego or your team's ego out of it, just because, hey, wouldn't this be cool? Um, is probably not going to be enough of a reason uh to to do something um yeah yeah Yeah, no i mean i think it's like mutual self-respect in all regards and uh that 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 way it can work right Um, so laurie we are almost out of time i have uh maybe the last question is um when you're when you're doing these licensing deals and uh from the both parties like from the side of the buyer and from the side of the seller what are like the main pitfalls that you want to avoid like, what are the mistakes that you don't want to make when you're kind of doing deals like that? Um, I think um, beginning as early as you can, uh, especially with video game licenses, you you have a much longer lead time than most types of licensing. You know, if you do apparel, somebody can, you know, put something on a T-shirt very quickly. But the lead time in in video games is long. And you're going to have to pad that with the amount of time that you're going to spend negotiating the deal even before you begin. So, um, you know, you've got that, that, that is a consideration. Um, I think also there are some basic tenants in every licensing deal, which is uh, a guarantee, um, a royalty, Uh, Those two are pretty much in every deal. Um, You've got to think about, um, you know, what, what, what can you, if you're the buyer, what can you pay up front? 
um, how will that roll out over the period of, of years um, from the from the uh, licensee side, you want as many years as you can to be able to, you know, utilize the, the license. And from the other side, you're looking for the shortest amount of time um, or a reasonable amount of time, but you don't want to give somebody, you know, more time than they need because you may end up wanting to license it to someone else. Um, you have to look at things like exclusivity. Um, are they just looking for certain regions? Um, are they, is it a worldwide license? Um, uh, I think, um, you know, those are, those are some of the, the, the main points. And, and I, and I just think again, on the financial end, you just really have to think through what can I afford? What mm -hmm. would, what would make me, what would, if I get this deal and I hit this mark, would that make me happy? Can I afford to do that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think those are great advice. I mean, if somebody's kind of go into that direction, Lori, I just want to thank you for your time today. Thank You're you welcome. so much. It was a super interesting conversation. I could go like forever and ever about all those stories and licenses, but uh, you probably have some other stuff to do. <laughs> okay. Thank, Thank you, you very so. much. Very nice to meet you and, and nice to meet all of you, even though I'm not talking to you. Uh, nice to meet everyone. I wish you all the best. Thank you, Lori. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for enjoying another episode of the 80 Level Roundtable podcast. Check out upcoming episodes on the 80 Level website at 80.lv. Join our career site at 80.lv slash RFP and share our podcast with friends and on your social networks.